Hello, and welcome to this episode of By His Word. I am your host and teacher, Candy Carmichael. Many people, including Christians, think that the first mention of Jesus in the four Gospels is in the four Gospels of the New Testament, but references to him that include not only prophecies, but what are called types and shadows are found even throughout the entire Old Testament. A type or shadow is something that is a representation of the actual thing or person. It is also a symbol of that object or person. For example, a flag is a representation of the country it symbolizes. In this first of a series, we will start in Genesis to find the beginning of the red thread that symbolizes the bloodline of Jesus and follows it through to the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is born. It will be a treasure hunt that will help you to discover the divine authorship of this marvelous book called the Bible, and it will introduce you to a greater appreciation of the many aspects of his character. But first, some things we need to say about the language in which the Old Testament is written. Except for a few small portions, primarily in the book of Daniel, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The other small portions were written in Aramaic, which was a local language spoken by most of the disciples and by Jesus himself. Hebrew is unique in many ways. Unlike other languages and dialects, it has no history. Most other languages can trace any their starting point, and many have incorporated words from other languages into everyday vocabulary. But Hebrew is known as God's language, and it was inserted into the earth. It is almost definitely the language spoken by Adam and Eve and the people up until the time of the scattering of nations into language groups at the Tower of Babel. When Jesus, I'm sorry, when God spoke to Saul on the Damascus Road as he was traveling to persecute Christians there, God spoke to him in the Hebrew language according to Paul's testimony in Acts 26, verse 14. Hebrew is also unique because it was spoken by the Jews until the time of their dispersion in 70 AD, and then the language largely ceased to exist because the Jews were so scattered. The Jewish priests spoke it throughout the centuries, but the spoken and written language had been lost to the laity. The revival of the Hebrew language began in Europe and in the region then known as Palestine in the late 19th and 20th centuries. Eliezer ben Yehuda is credited with being the father of modern Hebrew as a national language for the Jews. Today, more than 9 million people speak Hebrew, most of them who are living in Israel, where it is the official language. Unlike other languages, Hebrew has multiple dimensions. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each letter is also a word, a number, a symbol, and a musical note on the scale. It is written from right to left, and there are no vowels. Certain markings are inserted to indicate vowels and to help with pronunciation. The first letter of the alphabet is Aleph, which is the numerical value of 1. Bet is next, which is 2, and then Gimel, which is 3. The first 10 letters are represented by the numbers 1 through 10. The next 9 represent 20 through 100 in increments of 10. And the last 3, Resh, Shin, and Tav, represent 200, 300, and 400, respectively. When the scribes copied the scrolls from the first ones ever written, they were meticulous in their accuracy. If a mistake was made, the scroll was discarded. Also, the numeric values of all of the letters were added together in each row horizontally and then vertically. If the total did not add up to the total in the original scroll, then the copy was considered to have a mistake and was discarded. This is why the ancient Old Testament scrolls found throughout the centuries were exactly the same. God made sure his word was preserved accurately throughout history. Each Hebrew letter is the symbol of something. The first letter, Aleph, represents an ox or a bull. 
The second letter, Beit, represents a house. Gimel, the third letter, represents a camel. And Dalit, letter number four, represents a door. And number 22, Tav, a sign. Many people are familiar with what is known as the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter word that is the unpronounceable name of God. It is the four letters of Yud, He, Vav, and He, or Y-H-V-H. In English, it is transliterated into Yahweh, or Jehovah. The symbolism of the letters is very interesting. The letter Yud represents a hand. He means behold. Vav represents a nail. And again, He means behold. Put together, the name of God says, Hand, behold, nail, behold. From the very beginning of creation, God indicated the means of death for his son Jesus with the crucifixion on the cross. A fourth aspect of Hebrew is that each letter of the alphabet corresponds to a note on the musical scale, spanning three octaves. So Hebrew is literally a musical language. When the psalmist David composed songs on his harp, which, by the way, had 22 strings, he was literally playing the Hebrew language. A musician who is familiar with this put the 23rd Psalm to music according to how each letter is represented by a note and the result was breathtaking. Only God could develop a language with so many facets that proved his divine authorship of the of the book and in and uniqueness of the Hebrew language. It will very likely be the language that all of us will speak throughout eternity. The first indication that Jesus was present from the very beginning is found in Genesis 1:26, when God created man on the sixth day. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the first chapter of his book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John 1, 1-3. John writes further about Jesus, the Word. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. The Apostle Peter wrote that our redemption had been planned by God before the earth was ever created. Forasmuch as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained, to die that is, before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. 1 Peter 1, 18-20. Remember the Hebrew name for God, which is yud Hey vav Hey. The Hebrew meaning of the letters is hand, behold, nail, behold, which signified the death that Jesus would experience ordained before the foundation of the world. After the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the first prophecy of the coming of Jesus as the Redeemer and Savior of all mankind was given by God himself to Adam, Eve, and Lucifer, who was at the time in the form of a serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 God was predicting that the head of Satan would be destroyed while the nail on the cross would injure the heel of Jesus. 
One of the most well-known men in Genesis is Abraham, known as the father of the Jewish faith. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12, 1-3. Abram later, known as Abraham, was a type and shadow of Jesus. This means that in some ways he was a representation of the life of Jesus. The similarity comes in that Jesus left his father's house in heaven to come to the earth as a man. Through, though Abram came from, through Abram came the bloodline, the descendants who would eventually produce the Savior of the world. And through Abram, and even more so Jesus, all families of the earth would be blessed as redemption came to every nation and people group in the world. Perhaps one of the most pertinent representations of Jesus is found in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel were finally getting ready to leave Egypt. They had been living there since the time when Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham, was second in command to Pharaoh. Eventually, the Hebrew people became slaves, but after 400 years in Egypt, Moses was raised up as a deliverer to lead them to the land that God had prepared for them. On the eve of their departure, the Lord told the people to prepare a lamb and to brush its blood over the doorposts of their tents to prevent the death angel from slaying the firstborn in their families. This became the first feast of Passover, and it was to be observed every year thereafter in remembrance of the Lord's deliverance. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Exodus 12, 5a and verse 7. The brushing of the blood on the entrance emphasized the fact that Jesus is the door. When on earth, Jesus spoke of being the good shepherd and of being the door to the sheepfold. John 10, verse 7. The story of the Passover is also... Um, at the, the, where, the where we get our practice of communi- communion in the churches. The Hebrews had to eat their Passover meal in haste, ready to leave at a moment's notice. They did not even have time to allow for their bread to rise, so they ate unleavened bread. Leaven was a type or representation of sin, according to Jesus, so this is why the bread was without leaven. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. John 6:35. This is why there could be no leaven in the bread. Jesus was without sin, and when we partake of communion, we remember his sinless life and his sacrifice for us. The blood of animals could never take away the sins of the world. But this symbolic gesture of eating the flesh of an unblemished lamb and their homes being protected by the blood of that lamb was something that no one understood at the time. Today, we see Christians, we as Christians have the benefit of looking back to see the beautiful representation of Jesus in the Passover meal and to partake of its benefit. The third book of the Old Testament is Leviticus. Most people have never read this, or, uh, and on the surface, it may seem like a very dry reading with no relevance to people today, except for the Jews who follow the rituals that the book describes. However, it gives detailed explanations of the Jewish feast days or festivals that were to be 
celebrated on specific days and in specific seasons. For example, the spring feasts of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits centered around the spring rains and planting season. Prophetically, they were fulfilled to the day by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He died on Passover just as the afternoon sacrifice was being made at the temple in Jerusalem. He was buried a few hours later, just before sunset, on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Since the Jewish day begins at sunset, and it took a few hours to get permission to take the body of Jesus down from the cross, wrap it in linen and spices, and carry it to the tomb, he was buried on a new day. When he rose again, it was during the Feast of Firstfruits. Jesus became exactly that. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Verse A. The fourth part, Pentecost, fourth feast, rather, Pentecost was fulfilled by the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Before his death, Jesus promised his disciples that he would send the Comforter, who was the same Spirit that indwelt Jesus and would fill believers who accepted him. John 14, 16 to 17. Finally, the book of Leviticus describes the fall feasts of the Feast of Trumpets, also known as Rosh Hashanah, Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. These feasts are centered around the time of the harvest. A better translation of the word feast is the Hebrew word moed, plural, moedim. This means an appointed time, place, or meeting. On God's calendar, these moedim were designated meeting times for God and Israel. Prophetically, they are significant for the church as well as for Israel. The Feast of Trumpets is the fifth feast. Number five is the number of grace, and there is only one place where this feast is mentioned in Scripture. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work in it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Leviticus 23, verses 23 to 25. That's it. Two verses. And it doesn't really commemorate anything for Israel. However, the other names that Jews have for the Feast of Trumpets are highly significant for the church. These names include the Hidden Day, the Coronation of the King, the Wedding of the Bridegroom, the Resurrection of the Dead, and the Opening of the Gates of Heaven. When this feast was first instituted, there were no telescopes or ways to determine when the feast should start. It was the only feast to start on a new moon rather than on a full moon, so two witnesses had to verify the first sighting of the sliver of the moon. The feast was over two days so that they would not accidentally celebrate it on the wrong day. When Jesus said that no man knew the day nor the hour of his return, could this have been a clue that the rapture would occur sometime during the Feast of Rosh Hashanah? The Apostle Paul also hinted at this when he wrote to the Corinthian church, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. There were 100 trumpets blown in Rosh Hashanah, with the last one being one long, loud blast. Perhaps this will be the one that we will hear someday. The next feast is that of atonement, which to the Jews is called Yom Kippur. It is a very solemn day of prayers of repentance and asking the Lord to forgive sin and inscribe their names in the book of life. It is representative of the future tribulation period when Jews will finally recognize their Messiah to be Jesus and to repent for their part in the crucifixion. Now we're going to take a brief break and if 
you can find out how to be witnesses to people in 177 different countries around the world. We will be right back. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click Donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world. Welcome back. The final fall feast is tabernacles, which would represent the future millennium kingdom on earth. These fall feasts are all future as far as their prophetic fulfillment by Jesus. But since he fulfilled the spring feast to the day and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, it is logical to expect that Jesus will fulfill the fall feast to the day. The other representation of Jesus in Leviticus is shown by the high priest as described in the 23rd chapter of the book. Though Jesus did not follow all the rules of the Aaronic priesthood, such as marriage, he still is our high priest and advocate with the Father. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who, is, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 14-16. In the book of Numbers, there are written a number of prophecies by Balaam, the prophet whose donkey spoke to him by the Lord. But there were a few times when Balaam obeyed the Lord and gave a true prophetic word. He began his prophecy by saying this, the utterance of him who hears the word of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Numbers 24, 16 and 17. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, and his son Judah was the one who continued the bloodline through Jesus, through Jesus who would come. But Judah's father Jacob was dying. He called his sons to his bedside to give each one a prophetic word. Judah was the fourth son who had been born, and his, and this was the prophetic word from Jacob. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Genesis 49, 9-10. and 10. Shiloh is a reference to the coming Messiah, meaning the peaceful one. In John 14, 27, Jesus promised peace that, he, that the world could not give. Peace I live with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. There is also a reference to Judah as being the lion, and Jesus was called the lion of the tribe of Judah. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses was giving a final goodbye to the children of Israel before his death and handing over his leadership to Joshua. 
the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Deuteronomy 18.15 This was a true prophetic word because it would be more than 1,400 years before the birth of Christ. And yet the Lord inspired Moses to prophesy that that one who would eventually come from among the Jewish people who would be their redeemer. When Jesus was transfigured on the mount, in front of Peter, James, and John, two men appeared with him, Moses and Elijah. They had a conversation with Jesus about the death he was about to experience. Because these two men had been in heaven for hundreds of years and knew the plans of God for redemption, they were able to discuss this with Jesus in front of the disciples, Luke 8, 28-31. Deuteronomy also summarizes the law into two simple laws, love God and love people, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus reiterated this when speaking with a group of Pharisees. One of them asked Jesus what was the greatest of the commandments. Jesus answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 34-40. Joshua, in the book named for him, is the leader of the children of Israel into the promised land. The Lord encouraged Joshua before he embarked on the monumental task of leading such a large group of people. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written in it. Joshua 1, 5-8a. Just as the Lord was with Joshua, he was also with Jesus, who would lead a group of disciples who would bring the gospel to the then-known world. Jesus did not abolish the law. He fulfilled it. The book of Judges tells the amazing story of the prophesied birth of Samson to Manoah and his wife. In the 13th chapter of the book, an angel appears to the wife with instructions on how she was to care for herself before and during the pregnancy. She would have a son who would be consecrated to God his entire life. The wife did not ask the angel his name, but described him to her husband as having a countenance like the angel of God. Manoah prayed that God would allow the angel to reappear so that he could talk with him and hear the instructions on how to raise his son. The Lord answered that prayer. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Judges 13, 8-11. The man and Manoah spoke a while longer, and then Manoah asked the angel his name. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Judges 13, 17, and 18. When Manoah asked the angel if he had been the one to appear to him, the angel replied two words, I am. Jesus used that phrase many times to describe himself and his attributes, especially in the book of Revelation. He said, I am the Alpha and Omega, which would be the Aleph and the Tav in Hebrew. In either language, it would be the beginning and the end. In answering the soldiers who came to arrest him in the garden, Jesus asked them who they were seeking, and they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Now when he said them, to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. John 18, 5 and 6. 
In the passage, the word he is added by the translators to make the reply more clear. But the actual answer of Jesus was simply, I am. When Moses encountered the burning bush that was not destroyed by the flames, God spoke to Moses at that time. When God called Moses to be the leader of the children of Israel, Moses asked God who he should say sent him to them. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Exodus three fourteen and 15. This is why many Bible scholars who study the book of Judges feel that the angel in chapter 13 was not an ordinary angel, but that it was Jesus himself who appeared in the example to the couple. Manoah and his wife offered to fix a meal for him, but the angel did not want to eat their food. Instead, he asked that they offer a burnt offering to the Lord. When they did this, the angel of the Lord ascended heaven in the flame of the fire, giving the young couple no doubt as to his divinity. They knew that they had seen the angel of the Lord, but feared that they would die because they had seen God. But the wife stated that the angel would not have promised them a son if they were going to die. This woman was correct, and she eventually gave birth to a son, Judges 13, 19-24. The book of Ruth is a beautiful portrayal of Christ because the book represents him as our kinsman redeemer. Ruth was from Moab, but married a young Jewish man who died several years earlier. She came back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Bethlehem. Since Naomi had left all that she had during a famine while married to her husband, she had no property when she returned to Bethlehem. Boaz became a kinsman redeemer when he bought all of Naomi's property from the current owner and also took Ruth as his wife to preserve the legacy of her first husband. In the same way, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of sin, and we, he will eventually be reunited with him as a bride in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus gave his life to purchase our redemption, paying the highest price of all to redeem us as his own. In the book of 1 Samuel, we are introduced to David, a young shepherd boy who was also a psalmist and one who would become the second king of Israel. As we trace the red thread of the bloodline, we find that it continues through David and his descendants. Thus, the main focus of this book is that Jesus becomes both the root and the offspring of David. This could only be possible if Jesus existed with God in the beginning. In Revelation 22:16, Jesus reiterates this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. In the 30th chapter of Proverbs, Agur, the writer of the chapter, states the following, I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One, who has ascended into heaven or descended, who has gathered the wind in his fist. What is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? Proverbs 30 and 34. Originally, the books of First and Second Samuel were one book, but later became divided. In the second book, David finally becomes king in the second chapter. He is the man after God's own heart because in spite of his sin and failures, he was quick to repent and to seek the Lord. Because of this and because of the Lord's faithfulness to Israel, David was promised that, he would, that his throne would be established forever. He will also be the king to rule over Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne will be established forever. 2 Samuel 7.16 In the same way, Jesus, the Son of God, and the offspring of David will rule forever as the eternal ruler. 
He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Luke 1, 32 and 33. These were the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary when Gabriel announced to her that she had been chosen to be the mother of the coming Messiah, Jesus. We can only imagine what the splendor of the coming eternal reign of Jesus will be on the new earth, but we know that because God said it, it will happen. In the books of First and Second Kings, John, God shows his faithfulness to Israel by providing leadership through the kings over them. Even though God himself desired to be their king, the Israelites demanded a king that they could see in person, and they wanted to be like the other nations and send their king to war to fight their battles for them. Now, God granted the request, but he also warned the people that they would regret it when the rulers were not God-fearing men. He warned that the evil kings would steal from the people, tax them, and slay enslave their children. Some would even lead the people away from God and into idolatry, but the people still insisted on an earthly king, and God gave them one. In contrast, Jesus will be our earthly king who is gracious and good and who rules with justice and fairness. He has the dual role also of being the priest and the prophet as well as being a king, and he is the only one qualified to be all three. Some comparisons um, to be major character, some comparisons to be major characters in the books are Solomon, Elijah, and Elisha. And Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived after he was given supernatural wisdom from God upon request. Jesus, of course, possessed all the wisdom of God. Elijah and Elisha were prophets who performed many miracles through the power of God just as Jesus did when he was on earth. Yet Elijah and Elisha were men who were had failures, while Jesus never did. What was distinctive about Elijah is that he is one of the two men in the Bible who never died. He was transported to heaven in a fiery chariot and would be one of the two witnesses to return to earth to oversee the building of the third temple, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. We will continue our studies on this topic next week. Until then, keep looking up. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click Donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world.